All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 158 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside uh, Frank Saravalli. Uh, before we get into that, just of course, it's uh, Truth and Reconciliation Day in Canada. As uh, a lot of people uh, educating themselves on the, uh, the past atrocities, uh, that indigenous uh, people, especially in, in residential schools, had to deal with, and, and their ancestors. And you know, it, uh, it's only 1996 since the last school was closed. So, uh, orange shirt day, and obviously, uh, wearing an orange shirt doesn't uh, doesn't change a lot. Just illustrates that uh, uh, I'm aware of it in Canada, and uh, we are looking to uh, educate ourselves on it and uh, learn from it moving forward. And uh, obviously uh, offer our best to those who were uh, impacted by just the atrocities that happened for uh, many decades at the residential schools. Frank, good morning. How are you? I'm good. Um, well said by you. I see your orange shirt. I did not realize that was happening. And now I'm better for having heard it. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know what, I'd, I'd recommend, uh, you know, obviously people that, you know, if you're looking for a, a hockey connection, uh, Ethan Bear, uh, the, the TSN has a feature on him and, and where he grew up uh, and how really there's a, there's a guy who, and, and this is in the words of his, his own people said he probably shouldn't be in the NHL just because all the alcoholism and everything that people go through because they're dealing with just the, the pain of many years of what happened and generation. And I think some people don't understand generational and, and how 
even though the kids today, Ethan Bear wasn't in a residential school, actually one of his siblings was, but you know, your parents and your grandparents and, and how that actually impacts us. There's more studies on, you know, generational healing and trauma and how it really does impact. And so uh, Ethan Bear is one who's, who's been a huge influence for young kids and, and how to say, Hey, you know what? Uh, there, there is opportunities for you and you can overcome a lot of the challenges. So uh, that's a really good feature. And there's lots of other ones I'd, I'd recommend people if they want to learn a little bit more about it, uh, they can do that. Uh, today, we're going to learn a little bit more about the Atlantic Division. We're also going to have the head coach, the new head coach of the Detroit Red Wings, Derek Lalonde, on the show. What I like to call a grinder. This guy has uh, put in his time as a head coach at many different levels, Frank. And uh, we pre-taped this with Derek a few days ago. And, man, I loved it. He He's going to get people fired up. I think uh, Detroit fans are going to uh, – I think they're going to like their new head coach a lot. Yeah, I agree. Um we just going through his resume, like he coached at some division three schools that I've never even heard of. And I'm really well in tune to the division three scene here in the U S. So, uh, started from the bottom, quite literally didn't ever really have being an NHL head coach on his radar. And now here he is. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's awesome is, you know, he's pretty jacked about the season and as he should, we'll get to Detroit in a sec. So we're really going to start, uh, from uh, the bottom up last year in the standings in the Atlantic uh, division. And of course the, uh, the Montreal Canadians uh, only 55 points last year, Frank. And I, I want to start, first of all, you know, the big change for the Habs is that uh, they don't even have Carey Price this year. Um, you know, Jake Allen's going to be their, their go-to guy in goal. Um, no, Montembeau will be the, uh, the backup, but uh, we'll just look at some of the changes. Price is out. Uh, Sean Monaghan, Matheson and uh, Barron are in, but you know, really, they haven't made a massive amount of changes. Like, so when I look at it, so I'm like, geez, how does Montreal improve? Like Slavkovsky, I guess he hasn't made the team yet. So he's a question mark for me on whether or not he's going to be new or not. But it's, uh, are you surprised there hasn't been more change for a team that was a 55 point team? I, I mean, that's a pretty significant amount of change. I mean, Kirby doc is new. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think that's a lot. Jeff Petrie's gone. As you mentioned, Carey Price. I don't like to me, that's a pretty significant overhaul. If it was a team that was an 80 point team, you'd say, huh, they've made some moves and they're on their way. I think the big thing for me is yes, the goaltending is, is going to be a question mark. You look at Jake Allen last year and he was just overwhelmed, overloaded. Um, obviously also dealing with an injury for a while, but you know, just, there's, there's so much coming at him and anyone that was in the crease for the Montreal Canadiens that they, they, their defense was lacking so much. And I really like their forward group moving forward, especially as, you know, you see someone like Cole Caulfield continue to mature. You, you know, you find out more from, from a guy like Jake Evans and, you know, you've got Josh Anderson, hopefully healthy and, and Nick Suzuki continuing to play. Slavkovsky is going to be a big part of that. Now, Jay, there seemed to be some real, I don't know if controversy is not the right word, but there already seems to be some criticism in Montreal of Uri Slavkovsky from a few preseason games. And you're going, this is something that this, that's going to be sorted out over like the next four years, not the next four preseason games. So does it surprise you that, there's been that much of a focus on uh, not the number one overall pick. Cause of course there is, but just that it already seems to be bubbling to the surface. 
Well, not in that market. I'm not surprised by it. I also, to me, part of the organization's role here, protect young player. I don't, I've said this, so I'm not going to change my stance. I'm not having an 18 year old Slavkovsky in the NHL. I don't think it benefits it. Um, for the reasons you just outlined, Frank, there, there's going to be a certain group of people that just don't understand how development at the NHL works. Like, it's amazing. I'm like, watch the league. 18 year olds do not dominate. Like, yeah, Sidney Crosby is a rare, rare breed, right? Even the great Connor McDavid, now injury, sure, right? So, and he, now he still was a point of game player, but how many other guys at 18 are doing that? So, and that's just a point of game, never mind even a half a point of game. So I don't, I think you're putting way too much focus if you're in that market to think that Slavkovsky, like really if Slavkovsky plays all season and scores 35 to 40 points, should do cartwheels. The whole question is, is it better for his long-term development and his confidence to be in the NHL slogging or would he be better off playing at lower levels and really controlling the play, having the puck more on a stick? I'd argue it's the latter. Well, and the benefit for the Canadians drafting him from Europe is that they can put him directly in the AHL and they can do it in their own backyard and, and keep their own development group and team on him at all times. Yeah. So that's, that's the one real benefit is, you know, he doesn't have to go to junior where you're wondering how, what that development is going to be like. He steps in, plays it, you know, in the AHL. He was already playing against men last year in Europe. Um, you know, it, it's right under their thumb. Yeah, and hey, the AHL is no joke league either for 18-year-olds. Uh, right? I think it's the hardest league in the world to play oh. in with their schedule and and sometimes three and three. Uh, the travel's not easy. There's lots of guys, you know, teams are all over the place. There's some teams that are more development-oriented, some teams that are more veteran-oriented. Uh, you get the best of both worlds, I think, and it's a really tough league to play in. 100%. Um, I, I don't. I see Montreal. I expect them to improve on their 55 points, but uh, I don't see them really as a competitor. So the big question for Montreal, Jay, for me, is, is not this year, but how long until Montreal is competitive? Well, look at their back end. I, I'm going to say three years. Like, I don't, who's coming on the Justin Barron? They got a hope is coming. Um, you know, Michael Masson's a, is, is a good player, but you know, who, who's really anchoring like Joel Edmondson's solid, you know, David Savard, we'll see right where, where he's at foot speed and everything else. This is going to take time in Montreal because, well, you can, you can have lots of good young forwards potentially. You got to have defense to win in the National Hockey League with your forwards. And, and that's where I think Montreal's downfall is going to be. Um, you know, unless they're going to be able to go out and get some free agents here in the next few seasons, I, I, I don't see them really being, I think they're in a legit four-year window minimum of being a team that's going to have to try to find their way. I would agree with that. I, I think this next summer is going to be a really big one, though. Yeah because they're going to have lots of guys that are, some contracts that are coming up and obviously they have some space to fill with carry price and that 10 and a half million bucks. I don't know. I think they can make a big, bigger jump next summer. Okay. Now let's get to the uh, Ottawa senators, a team that well, was uh, 27 points out of the playoffs at 73. And a lot of people think that they're going to compete this year. They made significant changes to Giroux, Mott, Talbot are, are all in uh, Brown, white Tierney, uh, Matt Murray and goal, uh, Josh Brown on defense. They made a lot of changes uh, specifically, you know, like the and Giroux are obviously major additions and Cam Talbot, 
I think Ottawa improves. My question is, is their defense good enough to make the playoffs, right? Sanderson, I would add as a, as a new addition as well for them mm-hmm. uh, on the back end. And like anything, young guys, like is he playing top four minutes right away? He should be. Yeah, but that's that's tough because it's hard to defend in the NHL. I don't, I don't think Sanderson have no issue with his skating, his competitiveness, how he thinks the game, it'll be all there. But just learning how to defend at the NHL level is one of the hardest things to do. And very few young defensemen. Heck, like you go back and look at Victor Hedman's first few years. He's elite of elite. He wasn't, you know, over the moon dominant. He was good. But, and, and he's six foot six, right? Like it, it is a hard position to break in as young guy. Cannot stress enough the significance of getting a goaltender that you have confidence in in Cam Talbot. Like, I, I think that was as, as much as those other moves were important and, and getting a 40 goal scorer in his prime and to bring it and, and adding leadership and high end skill in Giroux. Amazing stuff. Like the, if it's possible to win anything in the summer, the Ottawa senators won the summer. It was the summer of Pierre, but I think your point is well made about their defense. Like I look at it and I say, you know, obviously with Sanderson, high end talent, the inexperience is there and some of the mistakes will be there. I don't love, I I mean, obviously Shabbat is a, is a really strong player, but I don't love the rest of their group. And so it's going to take a little bit more time in my opinion for, you know, some of these other guys that, you know, should be getting opportunity uh, to really carve out mainstay roles with this group. Um, You know, when you look at a Jacob Bernard Docker, like he's a guy that, you know, there was a lot of promise and he, he's, he needs to get there and do it. Um, And and same. Artem Zub's a solid defender. I'll say that in Ottawa. I like him as a defender. And yeah. And then that's, but what is he? Is he is he a four? Is he a five? Where where does he slot on the chart? Well, I think he might be. A, I think he might be a three, a, a hovering around a two. He's not. He doesn't bring you a ton of offense, but he, he paired with the right guy. You put him with a with a Shabbat. They, I think they work well together because you've got the like Artem Zub has more of a defensive conscience, right? And uh, and Shabbat's the left guy. I think what has to happen in Ottawa is they have to find a way to limit the minutes of Shabbat. I think he's playing too much, and, and I think. I'd rather a guy play 24 than 26. You know, Frank, just those few extra shifts, you can, you can get him. He's a little bit more rested. And I think at times less is more can help for some guys, right? Lots of players will tell you at 12 minutes they want to play more, and I agree. But when you get into those high 20 minutes, sometimes it's better to, to dial it back a bit. And, and they can. I, they I guess I would – my question to that would be, okay, so if he's coming off, who's going on? And if that means three more minutes of Nick Holden, I would say no. Well, Jake Sanderson. Uh, oh, yeah, fine. But what I'm saying is that's the that's the important question is who's going on next. And I don't know that they're deep enough to be in a spot where he should be off the ice more yet. Yeah. Well, that, hey, valid point as to why I think I love the excitement about the Sens. I, I, I think the defense core, that's the question. They're, you know, you, you're going to need Zub. You're going to need Sanderson. You're going to need Zaitsev. Shabbat, all these guys are going to have to play really, really well. I think their offense, and you mentioned Cam Talbot. I really think Anton Forsberg might end up being a starter, uh, playing more games in, in Ottawa. He was he was really good for them. So uh, I think they like their tandem in Ottawa, and I think that'll be a, a healthy competition, which which should give them uh, more of an opportunity uh, to, to compete. But I'll, I'll still have them on the outside because of their defense. I think they're right there. 
I think they're going to be so like, I think they're going to be very close. They may fall short, but their competitiveness of this team should be, should make them really difficult to play against this year. They're going to be one of the more exciting teams to watch, Frank. I think offensively, man, you got, you've got uh, obviously Stutzel, Debrinkat, Giroux, Norris, Kachuk, Batherson. Like they, they got uh, some offense. Uh, offense. They might be giving up a lot too. So they could be yeah. a threat at both ends of the ice. Oh, I, I think Ottawa, when you look at combined goals in games, I think they're going to be top five in the NHL. You hear that, Tyler? Pound the over. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Now, the, the team in the Atlantic that I think might have the best chance, Frank, to go from the uh, outside the playoff pitcher into the playoff pitcher is the Detroit Red Wings. And uh, today on the pod, we have their new head coach, Derek Lalonde. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Our next guest has one of the best nicknames currently going in hockey. His coaching career, his paid coaching career started actually just up the road for me, Lebanon Valley College, Division Three. He had a few Division Three stops, uh, a journey 25 years in the making to becoming an NHL head coach. Now with the Detroit Red Wings, the DFO Rundown is pleased to welcome Derek Lalonde to the program. Derek, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Lebanon Valley, old Anvil, Pennsylvania. That's a long yes. time ago. Hershey Park Arena. Yes, yes. What a spot. Um, yeah. Really glad to have you on the pod. Um, so What's the nickname? What's the nickname? Newsy. He's the famous Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. There you um, go. Just, just making sure Newsy. for any of our listeners who didn't know. Oh, Newsy Lalonde, man. Well, I never saw him play, but I've read stories about him. <laughs> so I got to ask, Derek, when's, when's the first time someone called you Newsy? Uh, probably right around college had a buddy, uh, Chad Casty, college teammate, um, would call me newsy in college. And obviously it just stuck, uh, him being who he is and the hockey world actually from Cornwall, Ontario. I grew up literally just across the border, no relation, but I'm sure it's very common name through that Ottawa Valley, uh, area there. Um, so I'm sure we're connected somehow, but 
I guarantee you, my last couple of stops, either the Minnesota organization, or the Toronto organization, no one knows who Derek is. So it's a name that's stuck and has a ring to it. That's awesome. Yeah. Newsy Lalonde, Eric, or sorry, Edward Newsy Lalonde, born in 1888, uh, a one of the first inductees into the Hockey Hall of Fame when it opened. What a great nickname. But um, wanted to to just get your thoughts, Derek, as things get rolling, training camp, your first opportunity as an NHL head coach. You spent the last four seasons on the bench of the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, winning two Stanley Cups as an assistant before now getting your shot. What's what's the feeling like? Is What's the emotion like heading into camp and, and to start this season? That's exciting. Um, like any first-time coach, first camp, new staff, we've probably uh, – beat up our first couple of days over and over my staff go over again in the morning. And I think there might be a pen or two stuffed in someone's eye, <laughs> but we're going to try to be prepared as possible. And I think my excitement reflects, I think the typical Detroit Red Wings fan, uh, hopefully some natural progression for some of our young guys. Uh, obviously Steve had a very good off season with free agency and any team, any organization was no different year to year when we were in Toronto, excuse me, Tampa, obviously completely different window. We were in that Stanley Cup win now window, but you just hope for improvement and an, an upward trajectory. And uh, that's going to be our goal going into camp. Derek, uh, your coaching career, even if you go back to, to your three years when you were a graduate assistant, uh, when you were an assistant coach at, at North Adams State College, you were an assistant for 16 years before you became a head coach in the USHL. Obviously, I think you've got patience. You know, you're willing to learn the game. You know, then you you, you move up uh, to level. Did did you think the head coach job in the NHL was coming? Like, was that the ultimate goal for you, or would you have been happy remaining as an assistant? Yeah, great question, Jason. And and and, I, and it's real. Like, it was never a goal to be an NHL head coach. My goal was always growth within whatever position I took. And... Uh, a place I want to be for a long time. And every job I took, every stop I made along the way, it was being around good people and growing. And I got that advice early in my career, be great at the job you're at. Do not look towards what's next. And I lived by it. Um, even the last few years when my name started to get swirled around with NHL head jobs, um, I was in no rush um, I still could be in Tampa to this day. We would attack that season like we have the last few seasons. And I think it's boding well for me and the phone kept ringing and here I am with my opportunity uh, with the Detroit Red Wings. So why do you feel this was the right opportunity for you in Detroit now? I think maybe where the organization is, uh, maybe where my career is, we kind of are, are uh, in a parallel Um I've had success. I've been fortunate enough to be around winning a lot of winning. Uh, well, you see what it looks like. Not only do you see what it looks like, you see what the process looks like. Um, you know, you, now you look back on the three cup runs, the two Stanley cups, but wasn't far removed from getting swept in the first round of the playoffs. And I think where Steve was, uh, what he was looking for, is a guy ready to make an impact somewhere. Uh, and I think where this organization was just, it just felt like a really good fit. I know the opportunity Steve and I had to, to sit down and his interview process was literally six hours. And I, at the end of it, I looked at my watch. It felt like 90 minutes. I couldn't believe 
we had talked for six hours and I think that we were on the same page on, on a lot of levels there and obviously ultimately about 24 hours he offered me the job. So Derek what is your relationship with Steve like how long did you guys know each other I think a lot of people looked at that and said well okay he's plucking the guy from Tampa that he knew so well but he you guys only crossed paths there for one year and I think he was already senior advisor not even GM. Yeah, uh, obviously we had a little bit of relationship there. He hired me uh, in Tampa. He was actually our general manager at the time. Uh, but I really felt uh, going through that process, I was John Cooper's hire. Um, John wanted some change within his staff. Uh, I think Steve was very hands-on with his previous hires. I think John got to a situation in his career where hey, you've earned this, go get your own guy or guys. And I really felt I was uh, John's hire. Obviously, Steve was a little bit involved in the process. And then to Steve's credit, he, he really, that year, he kind of did step back in the background. I think it was for the benefit of Julian. Um, so we had we knew each other. We had a relationship. Uh, but it was just on a working basis. And I think he kind of really got to know me a little bit throughout the year, but more in the process. And Obviously, he was invested uh, with what we were doing in Tampa. Uh, the fact he built so much of it, uh, he probably saw the process and what we were about. And when um, I would always go down and give my thoughts to John Cooper, uh, might have made it on TV enough uh, where uh, he's like, hey, maybe this guy does know what he's doing. And it kind of took <laughs> off in there. So I, to this day, John Cooper tells everyone hired me to look pretty on the bench. I don't know if that's a positive or negative, but whatever it was, it worked out. I love that. Uh, so how is Derek Lalonde, the assistant, different than Derek Lalonde, the head coach? Um, he's got to be more decisive. I, I, you know, look back, I know Jason asked that question previously um, on your career. Are you ready to be a head coach? Did you ever foresee being a head coach? Those paths of being a head coach were about growth. Um, as an assistant at the University of Denver, became a head coach in Green Bay and the USHL because I need to be a head coach. And I just assumed I would go down the college route. A lot of people cut their teeth in the USHL. They wanted to be college head coaches. And then, ironically enough, it was Ryan Martin, the Detroit Red Wings, called about the Toledo Walleye job. Now their opportunity to be a head coach, go on to Iowa to be a head coach. I was Now I look back and I was very fortunate to have those seven years as a head coach it's just different you're more decisive the buck stops on you um you've got to be organized you got to prepare you got to manage and that's a lot different and um tampa bay i was there to assist john cooper in any way obviously the the, the task i had within the, the team but to be there for him too and uh it, it was just it was a different uh, it all ultimately ended on john he was a decisive guy many times now it's that's being a head coach, being decisive, making decisions on the fly, making them quickly and moving on. So part of your path, Derek, is pretty similar to John Cooper, at least from the USHL, then into pro hockey. What do you think you'll take from, from being around him in Tampa? And um, what did you like most about working with him? His management style. Um, I want to be around John. I knew John previous we had a good relationship uh, we have a relationship prior to Tampa a relationship long past our time together in Tampa 
I had success, I believe, in my career, um, relationship-based, and I can manage well, get the most out of each individual, care for those individuals. And I looked at John as being one of the best in the world at that. And one of the reasons I wanted to work under him was to get that and to see that. And, and he is, you know, we talk about all the time. You make those day-to-day decisions, whether it's, you know, being hard on your skill, a lineup decision, uh, sitting someone out, holding guys accountable in a certain way. You know, we talk about it. I, I know Jeff Halpern used to talk in the Tampa office that you nail six of your 10 decisions. You're a really good coach. And we live by that. You're not going to hit all the time. It's just the reality of it. John Cooper, when it comes to managing, man, he nails a nine out of 10. It's almost uncanny. You almost have to be in there to see it. There's days and John will lean on me a lot. And I think why we had so much success, I had no problem telling John when I thought he was heading down a wrong path or we should do it this way. You know, there's mornings he'd go in there with a vision and then I don't like, I don't, I don't know, John, I don't know if I'm feeling it. And man, he nails it. He just has an uncanny feel of managing. So that is one. The other two is just enjoying it. Um, John Cooper had a locker room for our coaching staff. We just, we loved being around. We loved coming to the office. And I think the guys feed off that. So those are two things I'm certainly going to bring with me here in Detroit. Derek, you mentioned that, uh, you know, Steve Eisenman was there when he hired you and, but he, John Cooper ultimately was the guy who hired you. Did you have that autonomy for your coaching staff? Uh, uh, like a lot of head coaches, you bring in a former NHL head coach and Bob Bugner as one of your assistants. Uh, you, you retained Alex Tange from uh, Jeff Blaschel's staff, and then uh, you brought in uh, Jay Verratti. Take us through that, that hiring process and your decisions on why those guys were right for your staff. Yeah, I did, and that's a great question because Steve – Steve's in charge here. There's no doubt about it. And I think that's why it works. Um, um, and I, I didn't know how that would look. Um, and Steve gave me full autonomy and it was awesome. He was there for support. Uh, he was there for his opinion. Uh, ultimately he went out and hired those guys, but uh, it was a great process. Bob Bubner for me was a no brainer. He became available. Uh, we moved on it quickly. He checked off all the boxes I was looking for. I wanted someone with head coaching experience, not being a head coach this level ever before and not playing in the league. I wanted someone that played in the league and it's just different. Just when you surround yourselves around those guys, I experienced it with Rob Zettler and, and Jeff Halperin. It's just, it's just, it's still the guy's league. You know, I played college hockey to a certain level, but it is, you play in the league. It's, it's just a small, it's just something different about it. And I like having that experience and we moved on him quick. We moved on him hard. Uh, Steve became very aggressive because uh, he had many other options. He was being highly courted throughout the league. And as a credit probably to where we were as an organization, he was attracted to us and probably that young decor he'd be running. Um, so that was a no brainer. And then we moved on. Keeping Alex Tange was important for me. Steve, in our interview process, made it very clear. He thought highly of Steve. He reminded me of Jeff Halpern a lot. The offensive mind, he just sees the offense better than I do. That guy that played at that level, he could translate things. Maybe I could f- develop him on the coaching side. No-brainer, kept him. And then Jay Verity, uh, we were looking for a guy to fill in holes everywhere. And whether it was to help out special teams, whether he could assist the video guys, whether he could uh, be an extension of the analytics department. I, I know I made the right hire when I threw about – 14 different things on Jay in the first seven days of getting together. Uh, he filled all the holes. So I was ecstatic about our stuff. It feels right. Uh, it's felt right all summer. Um, I think 
with the assistance of um, Steve, I think he did a really good job. You mentioned your young decor and uh, people across the league, not just in Detroit, are pretty high on Mo Sider and, and, and rightfully so. There's also another young rookie and uh, Simon Edvinson. Uh, give me your early thoughts on him, Derek. And having coming from a, you know, a championship pedigree team, is there room to have, you know, those two young guys in your top six? You know, we'll see. I, I've, I've, I've purposely went into this off season with a fresh start for everyone. And it's hard as a coach. I've, 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 I've watched the Red Wings a lot, uh, just going back game film. We're trying to get our structure together. You know, some of the ideas I have of, of how I want things to look, you know, how similar did it look in Detroit. But I, when I talked to these guys in the offseason, I wanted to have a fresh start on everyone. And the rookies were no different. I came up to Traverse City to watch the rookie three games they played. And it's the first time, it's the first real viewing I had of these guys and to watch them very closely. And Simon, he, the whole package is there. It gets you very excited um, to, to be able to be that big and escape like he does, have poise with the puck. I can see the excitement throughout our organization. I understand the excitement, even from the hockey community on where this young man could be. Uh, but that, that spot is hard. That spot, it takes time. So uh, we'll, we'll see. It'll be a day-to-day -day process here. He's had a very good start to camp. Um, we've done a really good job in this off season with some depth where we don't necessarily need him to start with us on day one. Um, but if he does, he'll get every opportunity. We'll be very excited to have him. You mentioned day-to-day -day as an approach, and I'm wondering if that's what type of approach you have to take given all the excitement that's around your team, but also the reality of, where your team finished last year in the standings, like 26 points is a big gap to close. How do you go about, uh, you know, tempering that sort of excitement that you have, but also recognizing the challenge that you have? Well, I think the excitement's exciting and it's real, but you, you said it yourself where we were not only as far as points within the league towards the bottom and, and still we're 26 points of a playoff spot. I mean, that's an immense number, but I think when you really look to it, it's those defensive numbers that were so egregiously bad last year for whatever reason, those will be our priority from day one. It'll be our goal to keep the puck out of the net to improve every defensive category you have. Um, it's again, like you said, it's really hard to expect to be in a playoff run down the stretch when we had numbers in the 29 to 32 range in every defensive category and where we were um, as a team. And the other thing is probably a credit to our division and our league. I mean, a hundred points last year made the playoffs. That's, that's unheard of. It was just a unique season in the Eastern conference, obviously being a Tampa and being part of it. So I like the expectations. You want to go in every season with expectations. You're going to be in trouble if there are not those expectations there. Uh, but at the same time, we have to be realistic on where we were with our records and where we were with some of our numbers. Did you watch Hard Knocks with the Detroit Lions? Bits and parts of it. I loved it. Again, my summer, I felt like I was drinking out of a fire hydrant all summer <laughs> with everything. So I didn't have a lot of time for things like that. But the buzz around Detroit, it made me watch it. And then different parts of it. And the coach made such an impression like yeah. people, people love that guy and then you can see why it's real 
and uh, just being in the city now, being around it, he's got such a buzz about him, uh, which which is exciting. So bits and parts, not all of it, but where I saw, I liked it and I got very excited about it. So I want to give you a, a hard knocks type question, which they kept posing to the to the Lions group. This Red Wing season will be a success if what? Our team defense improves and we're playing meaningful games down the stretch. Meaningful games in March. Correct. Derek, you mentioned drinking out of a fire hose and, you know, you've taken the, this long uh, tour. You, you said your end goal was never to be an NHL head coach, but obviously now you want to succeed the most at it. Since you've taken over, you know, you joked that, you know, I want to be ultimately prepared. C can you give us maybe a little bit of a glimpse b behind the curtain as far as what's an NHL head coach doing in preparation leading up to your first training camp? Well, this day and age, uh, virtually, you can get so much done. Uh, so when I took over, we started doing uh, a once a week uh, Zoom uh, with our staff, um, the seven guys, the four coaches, the two video coaches, our goalie coach. And we, I, I wanted to respect their off season. Um, as you guys know, our season is so intense. The one beauty about our profession is we have a true off season. Yes, we're working. Yes, we're pecking away at getting better and, and, and developing ourselves. But that time away family uh, is very important and we take it very seriously. So I wanted to respect their time, but we had a Zoom once a week and probably about three or four Zooms into our process we were much further ahead than what I expected. I probably credit to being on the same page or maybe just everyone says, yes, sir, coach, because it's my ideas and no one was <laughs> to argue me yet. Maybe next summer there'll be a little longer, but we were much further ahead than what we expected. Uh, there was a lot of energy, as you can imagine, with the new staff, uh, when we were having those Zooms. So by the time we got together about 10 days ago in Detroit, we were in a really good spot. Uh, but you literally could spend 24 hours a day prepping uh, or we could start tomorrow and be just as prepared. It's just a reality. So a lot of Zooms and then we come in and then there's just so much that goes into it. Huge credit to Jeff Blaschel, you know, following him here, how organized and detailed he is, uh, having his two video coaches already in staff, um, where he had this analytics department, uh, where he was organized with uh, – camp up to the minutes, um, a lot of his structure, I benefited a ton from just how organized he is. So I think, again, we're in a really good spot. Um, it's been a gradual process throughout the summer, uh, but we're finally just ready to go. Awesome. Derek, uh, we always like to end our uh, interviews with a uh, rapid fire. Uh, only rule is you have to answer the question. All right. So, uh, here we go. Uh, Derek Lalon, alcoholic or non-alcoholic? Uh, what's uh, what is your celebratory drink of choice? It's back in it was about five years ago. All I drank was Miller Lite. So the NHL has taught me very well. Unfortunately, uh, I found a love for IPAs a few uh -huh. years ago, and I it's, it's tough to keep blaming my genetics on some things. <laughs> I think there's a true culprit, and maybe the IPAs. Okay. I like it. Now you have a bachelor degree of education and also a master's of arts and education admin. What do you do? What courses do you take to get your master's of arts in education admin? And do you use it as a coach? Yes, absolutely. Well, I went down those paths. I want to be a physical education teacher, science teacher, maybe an athletic director, high school hockey coach. So I had a vision and path through college. I prepped myself with that education 
master's education, you're, you're, you're learning how to be an administrator. Uh, you're taking administrative classes, you're taking the education classes, how to manage. So um, it's helped me that background teaching in that early age absolutely has helped me uh, with my coaching career. Do you have a favorite book you'd recommend? That is great. Um, I, I'm all over the place with books of late. Um, What's the book with, uh, I can't think of the name of it, but it had such an impression of me, the, uh, the rugby team in. Um, oh, in South, in, in South Africa? In the sheds. Yeah. That one still stays on my, my bed. Um, yeah. So I can't remember the name, but I apologize for that. But I, I do read a lot, but I, I don't finish a lot of books. I get bored with them and I feel really? like. I, I might be in three at one time. I, it's working with Julian Breezebois. We finish a game and we're either crushing video or we're, we're battling out our, our next crib game. And I look over and Julian's rifled through another book. He must have read 10 bucks per road trip, it seems like. And they're sitting there like, get, we need to get our lives together. So that's probably good leadership from Julian Breezebois. So maybe that's the one. A lot of self-help type books. Um, as a former goalie, what advice would you give to a minor hockey coach on how to coach goalies when I have zero experience? And I'm sure most of us, if you played forward or defense, it's like a completely different world. Like, What's your best advice to teach at minor hockey goalies? One, try to find someone with the proper expertise. And sometimes that's hard to do within minor hockey. But don't blame the darn goalie for everything. That'd be my one excuse. We still, I still live it to this day. Uh, <laughs> we have Andre Vasilevsky, man. I'm going to miss that guy. I can't tell you how many times we coached so poorly and we won the game, but there'd be times we'd still find a way to blame Franz Jean and under Vasilevsky in a loss. So I think it's a pastime of all coaches, uh, but stop blaming the goalie for everything. Are you a staunch member of the goalie union and uh, will your goalies be more protected than most? Yes and no. You know, you know, going up my coaching career in the college, playing college hockey, and we only had the the luxury of having or the luxury we only had the ability to have a couple assistants. I was always the goalie guy, so I'm sensitive to it. I do know the position a little bit, but what the goalie guys at the NHL level, I can't touch that. So I leave it to their expertise. But what I will do is I will be a little conscious of them in practice you know no backdoor passes in the tight scoring area distance shots we make sure we'll have some drills that are centered around our goalies which i don't think sometimes coaches do so yes i do have time and i will protect our goalies in detroit when was the last time you strapped the pads on in a game just talked about it it was actually in traverse city uh, I was the double A Toledo walleye ECHL coach here and they have the celebrity game and I would still play. I would strap it on. I still have hip issues from that moment six, seven years ago, but uh, it was myself and Ken Holland on one team. Oh, Ken played the first period. I played the second period. I didn't realize you're not allowed to score on Ken Holland. <laughs> so we're up six, nothing after the first. I'm like, Oh, this is going to be easy. And then I get in there and there's drapes and, and Yuri Fisher and the boys turn it up a notch. And it was like back in my college days playing Plattsburgh state where we're just getting run out of the building. So we just actually talked about it with uh, Maltby last night. It was here six, seven years ago, celebrity game in Traverse city. And you're so still in pain. Yeah. You still have hip issues. I, t I swear to God, 
to this day, you can see why that, no one plays that position anymore. Like, what was I doing? If your team gets on a seven or eight game winning streak, will you strap on the pads and face Bob Bugner in a shootout? Absolutely not. Uh, maybe, if, you know what? If, if, if Dylan comes to me with that, I would do that with eight, eight wins. I, I'd probably do anything, but yeah, so I would not go down. So actually I've lied to you about two years ago, my son, who's an 08 had a father son game. And I was excited to go skate out backdoor tap-ins uh, ready to go. No goalie. So I did put the, like the street hockey pad. I had to okay. do it. For and my yeah, goal yeah. was not go down once. And I nice. did. So yes. I would do boogs for sure. Uh, but it'd be stand up kick saves only. Hey, Billy Ranford, man. Sick. Yeah. I love that style. Oh, road hockey goalie. Yeah. Um, you mentioned analytics. Do you have one analytics stat that you, that you really track that you like? No, I just think on a whole, I've been a, become a very big fan of it. Um, I think it paints a really big picture where we had a ton of success in Tampa is when we put project, our guys on the projects. And for instance, Jeff Halpern running the offense is it more successful cycling out the strong side or the weak side. And we put the analytics guys on it. They would watch 10,000 clips and they'd come back with an answer. Extremely, extremely helpful. So not one individual thing, but uh, I think it's a big part of the game and it's going to continue to be a big part of the game. Well, Derek, congratulations. Um, you're a great example for a lot of young coaches to just, I loved your advice on be in the moment and the job you're doing and do it the best of your capabilities. Obviously you've done that. And now you've reached the pinnacle of coaching as an NHL head coach. Best of luck with the Detroit Red Wings. I appreciate it. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Jason. Anytime. Derek Lalonde, what an absolute uh, beauty. As uh, you mentioned, Frank, a great nickname. We just wanted to let people who didn't know what it was uh, in on it uh, early on. And where do you see Detroit, Frank? So that that's a really big question in the sense of those two teams have had massive summers. Which one is more well-adjusted to be in, in the playoff chase? Which one, frankly, which one is closer? They both have roughly the same amount of ground to, to make up Detroit finishing one point ahead of Ottawa last season. I'm going to say Ottawa is further along than Detroit. Ooh. See, I think Detroit, because I think Detroit, you know, you throw in Huso, you throw in uh, Sherratt and Cop and Perron. And the other one, the wild card for me is Jacob Verona. If he can stay healthy, that's a huge addition for that team. And, you know, those are a little bit more veteran guys, right? Uh, overall, uh, you know, I think they've, uh, you know, even Ole Mata. Ole is a solid NHL defenseman. I, I think Detroit's defense is slightly better. Um, and and Mo Sider, whew, where's that guy going to go this year? Um, I'm, I'm intrigued by him because he is just a, a dynamo to watch on their back end. And, um, you know, do I think their defense is better, but I think Ottawa's high end skill is way better up front. You've well, got a fun. really smart player in Andrew Kopp, and Verona can be an oh, excellent David player. Perron. And well, Bert, Bertuzzi's got an edge, and Perron yeah. was one of the most underrated players in the league the last few years. But I think it kind of falls off in a hurry. Like, you still have a whole group of guys that, um, our, our effort guys that are lacking skill, like, you know, what, why is Chicago so, you know, easy and willing to give up on Kubalik? 
Um, you know, I go through the list. Like there's, there's a group of guys that I think you're, there are question marks on their forward group. What are they? What, what's the ceiling? And if, if there's a lot of, if questions, can this person get, you know, this team can get there. If this player can do this, I just feel like there's more question marks up front with Ottawa. Okay. So, or with Detroit, you mean? So, who sorry, with have, Detroit. Yeah. So, do you have either one in or just close? I I don't have either one in. Okay. All right. Now, is there? Uh, now we'll move up, which uh, another very tight, only one point up. It's quite the race for fifth place last year, uh, although they weren't really close. And consider that uh, Buffalo was thirty-two points behind Boston in the division, thirty-three for Detroit, thirty-four for um the ottawa senators that's in their own division of course so if you look at the crossover it's a little bit less seven points because washington was at 100 so the buffalo sabers right that they'd made some improvements but the sabers really frank you know not not a massive amount of changes um you know you've got uh Libushkin's in power samuelson on the back end eric comrie will come in as as their backup uh, miller's out eakins out you know jack quinn i would say is is likely a new addition as well. So where do you come out on the Sabres? On paper, their defense core should be better. And I think they're just going to hope that their offense, their young forwards just continue to uh, to kind of improve internally. They didn't go out and add a lot of offensive punch. I would hope it's better. I mean, there is, has there ever been a team in NHL history that's had two number one overall picks on the same blue line? I, I can't think of one. Um, just throwing that out off the top of my head. And so Darlene took a big step forward last year yeah. and he's going to continue to lead this group. And now, you know, power steps in after a year of seasoning at Michigan and, and seems ready to go after the limited viewings that uh, we saw at the NHL level, his eight games that he finished off the season with last year. Here's the issue with Buffalo is I, I loved Alex Tuck and the, and when he came over in that trade for Eichel, you know, the shot in the arm that he gave this team, I thought it was so important. You know, his want to be there was big, but also his play. Um, and you look at the impact that he had on, on someone like Tage Thompson and the year that Thompson had and, and that contract is it's massive. Um, the problem with Buffalo for me is, when you look at the improvements that Ottawa and Detroit made, I feel like they left Buffalo in the dust. I look at this Buffalo team and I don't think that they're anywhere close to competing with those two teams that were right neck and neck with them. Yeah, it's hard to argue that. Like on paper, there's more additions for sure for Detroit and uh, Ottawa. And so Buffalo, I think, is continuing on their path where they feel it's going to be some internal improvements. Right, they've got some contracts, a Poso coming up at the end of the year, although there's talk that they're going to resign him. It would just be a, a much lower contract. And Like, are they kidding with their goalies? <laughs> yeah. What are they doing? Yeah, well, hey, Craig Anderson was good, but yeah, he's 41. And, you know, it's funny, Kevin Wood. Craig Anderson is 41 and, and was sub 900 last year and at varying points with his shoulder issues, couldn't lift his arm above his head. You go back and watch the goals. Mike McKenna keyed in on this really quickly he couldn't get his hand up to save goals that were above his head yeah well that's not good is it well eric comrie 
He's he's been a suitcase really. When you look the last few years, he was claimed on waivers all the time, especially during that COVID year, and didn't get to play because he was he was uh, you know what uh, had to had to quarantine every time he got uh, picked up. But this is now now we'll find out. He's there's not like there's a number three that's pushing at the door in Buffalo. So well, uh, yeah, Uko Pekalukinen is is pushing. Um, but, but he's not but there I'm yet. Comrie's going to get it. Like Comrie would really have to soil the sheets. I think is my point, Frank. He'll he'll get probably the best consecutive games look of his career. And and look, Buffalo has players coming. JJ Paterka is coming. Yeah. Um, like they've got a whole group of guys um, that are that are knocking on the door. I just I, I look at some of the guys further up their lineup, and I'm just saying they're not. They don't have it. Yeah, I think Buffalo stayed the course, Frank. They decided, okay, but you know stayed what? the course to where and and when? Fair. Well, I I think they look and say we didn't want to overpay in free agency. Like uh, honestly, I I think their their ownership group just looks at this as you know what we could have went out and overpaid on one or two free agents. It wasn't going to make a difference, so we'll keep our powder dry and uh, they'll try to uh, improve internally. I think uh, they're going to yeah. hope that they that uh, I'm not saying it's the right choice. I'm, I'm not advising them to go out and and I that's not my push is to say you need to sign free agents. Like they could have been active on the trade front. There are players that moved that they could have been in the mix for it. Maybe they were. Um but like, maybe they like, still will be, Frank. They're the one team that has a boatload of cap space. Yeah, they do. Um but look, Detroit and Ottawa are in really flexible cap positions too still. Yeah. Um, so that's really my issue is like, so you look at Detroit and you look at Ottawa, they both seized the opportunity this summer. This was the summer they decided was ready to take that big leap forward. But then you look further up in the division is Florida going anywhere anytime soon is Tampa is Toronto. Maybe you could make the argument that Boston will be at some point and they probably will. But uh, do you see them losing 40 points this year or, or 20 points off of where they were at? That's why the gap is so hard to make up for any of those teams. I agree wholeheartedly. And maybe maybe Buffalo just took a realistic viewpoint, Frank. And maybe I think Buffalo looks and says, hey, Peyton Krebs, Jack Quinn, Dylan Cousins, they're all our improvement's going to come from guys. It's not names. It's not anybody else out there. You know, they, they believe Tage Thompson, obviously they paid him big money, that, that his 38-goal season, 70-plus points, wasn't a mirage, that that's going to be the norm moving forward. And we'll find out. It's, uh, you know, they're they're the team that's going to go with youth and youth is opportunity frank but usually lots of youth doesn't equate doesn't equate to wins in the nhl but i i will say this and kevin adams keyed in on this recently that at least it feels like the feel of the sabers has changed players were excited to be there yeah they really like playing for don granado and I think that makes a world of difference. If you can attract people to what you're building, like the Sens have done, that I think it changes the the feel of your fan base and, and the hope of your team in your market, which I think is really important too. But I'm just looking at this group on paper right now, and I have a hard time believing that they're any better than seventh in this division. All right. Now let's move to the uh, to the top four, and there was a significant gap uh, last year. I will say this, Frank: the gap won't be thirty-two points from fourth to fifth uh, this coming year. There's uh, the captain obvious comment of the day. the uh, The Boston Bruins, uh, their major offseason uh, move, of course, was behind the bench. Jim Montgomery is in. Bruce Cassidy is out. Uh, they bring back uh, Krejci. Hall is out. Lazar is out. the The big thing for Boston 
is the injuries to start the season, right? In McAvoy, and you've got Marshawn and uh, Greslick. So Boston, it's more of can they stay in the race until they get some of their big guns back? Oh, aside from the injuries, I think the next thing is, are they going to get the Bruce Cassidy bump? Because, you know, seeing those guys come back, um, you know, seeing Krejci hop back in and seeing, um, obviously, you know, Bergeron come back, like those, I don't think, you know, and you also saw the, uh, the trade request rescinded from Jake DeBrusque, pretty clear signal that the Boston Bruins did not like Bruce Cassidy their players. And so now how does that feeling change under Jim Montgomery? Do they get a shot in the arm? I would suspect they do, but can they weather that storm with those guys, Marshand and McAvoy being the two biggest ones. And by the way, Hampus Lindholm, obviously coming over uh, at the trade deadline uh, from Anaheim, he he was uh, injured. It felt like his entire time to close out the season. Yeah. Um, and signed a massive deal um, right on the day that he was traded, 52 million bucks. Is, is he, how, can he pick up the slack? Can him and Brandon Carlo help carry this team? Well, early on, they're going to have to, right? Um, you know, they're going to look at uh, Derek Forbort. Um, pretty much, I think their whole defense core, all you're going to need four or five guys to, to play a little bit better than they were until you get McAvoy. McAvoy is such a huge piece. And he's in Matt uh, Grizzlick, man. He He's quietly... I like Grizzlick. Now, I, I, it's interesting. I've been reading and listening to some of the... And I get it's talk radio, and I'm a guy who's on talk radio, but I kind of chuckle at the people. Oh, the young players in Boston need thicker skin. I'm like, man, I, dis, I disagree with that. When you have someone that's barking at you constantly, it doesn't matter what you do, that's going to wear on you. So... Um, it wasn't even the barking, the people that I talked to in Boston with, with Bruce Cassidy, it was the sarcasm, the snark that really drove them crazy. Yeah. And so eventually that wears on you. And so to say, Oh, just toughen up like that's such an archaic Neanderthal type attitude. And it's easy to say when you're not the one, I'd say, okay, well here, I'll just be snarky to the guy. Usually the guys who say that aren't as tough as they like to claim. I just want to put that out there. Yeah. But it's also easy to say when your team has success and you're going to the Stanley cup final. And when you're a team that's sort of, you know, hanging in, in your division and it's gone on for six years, like, Enough is enough at a certain point. Oh, yeah. And you know what? Maybe he'll be the right fit in, in Vegas. We'll see. But Or uh, maybe he'll be gasoline on the fire that's already been burning there. <laughs> you can't wait for the Pacific Division. Preview. Well, I just, I, I mean, that's the exact, I don't know. We'll get to it. I'll save yeah. my ammo for them. I like. So where do you see the Bruins? Um, they've got to fall pretty far to get out of the playoffs. I'm just... I'm not like 32 point gap. And I understand there's a crossover potential, but there was, there was such a massive gap last year between the haves and the have nots in the East that I don't expect Boston to have 107 points. I see them in the mid nineties, 93, 96, somewhere in that range. And if it's 96, then they're probably a playoff team. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, and then like, what are we getting from Bergeron? Like Bergeron maybe had his best career season last year. Yeah. Can he do it again? Well, it's hard to do, right? And then you throw the absence of Brad Marchand, I think is going to hurt the Bruins a lot. He He's an emotional... Fu- there, I remember Milan Lucic, there's games where you might not have your stuff and Marchand just brings everybody into the fight because he's chirping, he's beaking, and all of a sudden your, your, your big brother internal defense mechanism kicks in and you're all of a sudden like, what? 
this guy saying now? I'm going to go protect him, right? And I think I think they're really going to miss the emotion of Marshawn. Yeah, he's a pest, and you know what? Uh, he irritates the opposition, but I think in, in today's game, man, that gets the emotion on the bench a lot higher, and that's what I'm going to watch for early. Does Boston miss the Marshawn personality factor? One more thing to watch, does David Pasternak's contract year, if a deal doesn't get done before the season starts, they are talking. If it doesn't get done, does it impact his play? I'm going to say no. Everyone handles it differently. Yeah, it's very true. That's a very good point. And some guys that you think might not have any issue with it struggle the most. And you're right, because Pasternak would be the guy my initial thought is, oh, wouldn't bother him. He's a pretty laid-back dude. So, um that, you know, some guys, you're right. I've talked to players that it weighs on them, right? They think about it all the time and others are like, meh, whatever. So it'll be a, that'll definitely be a, a point to watch for the Bruins. Now you get to the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning who, uh, hey, all the Lightning seem to do is get to the Stanley Cup final. They uh, won two and of course uh, lost one. Now this year, Frank, a little bit of change because Palat, McDonough and Ruda, Bogosian, some older guys are out, you know, Myers, Cole, Flurry. Definitely, you know, the depth on their blue line has changed for sure, right? But they've still got, you know, they've still got Sergachev and Cernak, and hey, Hedman's pretty darn good. So where do you come out on Tampa with, of course, I think, uh, if not the best goal, then the top two goalie in the NHL? I, this, I, I don't see any drop off at all. I really don't. You gotta, you're gonna have, a full year of what should be a much more comfortable Brandon Hagel. Um, he came over at the deadline and no matter what, it always comes down to this with the Tampa Bay lightning Kucherov point headman Vasilevsky four of, I don't know. Are we talking top 20 players in the game? All, I think all four of those probably fit in the top 20. Pretty close. Yeah. So when you have pillars like that, and I'm not even including Steven Stamkos, who had arguably his best year ever, you know, and then I say that arguably because he does have a 60 goal season, but he was unreal last year, 42 goals, 106 points. And then Kucherov just has this insane sublime ability that even if he misses time, he comes back in like he never missed action at all and is north of a point per game guy in the playoffs well kucherov's top five forward in the league in my books so if he's not nick paul so smart up front you have him for a full year i think ian cole is underrated on the back end like i i know we're talking about missing mcdonough cap hit wise i don't if you consider that i don't know how big the drop-off is really in what you get at the end of the day it may not be sexy from ian cole but from that group, uh, when you, you go to someone like Cole instead, Chernak, I mean, he like had hard, hard ugh. defender to play against. So strong. Oof. Uh, and Phil Meyer, Phil Myers is a big question mark for me. Um, got to watch him really closely here in Philly. Crisis of confidence. I was so surprised that a guy that had a unique buyout that they targeted him for his skill instead of executing the buyout to get themselves more cap space. They would have been given a credit actually uh, for this year for Phil Myers. And instead they signed him to an extension one more year at one four. But the fact that his cap hit went from two five to one four tells you that there's been a huge drop off in his play having gone from Philly to Nashville, 
now to Tampa. Well, you know what, though? The biggest benefit he's going to have, there's no expectations for him in Tampa Bay this year, right? They've got their big-name defenseman. And I don't buy that for one second. You think there's lots of lots of? Well, I just don't think they, for, for a team that has cap space issues, like they don't have ability to say, yeah, you know what, Phil Myers, like, ah, uh, just go out and do whatever. Like, well, no, he can be a solid third pair defenseman. Frank is what I'm saying. I'm, they're not asking him to to play big minutes in a significant role. Just be good and like. Jason I have questions as to whether he can be a third pair defenseman. Okay, and I think that's, that's fair. a fair question to ask. Sure. But the point is when you have Victor Hedman, it allows everybody else to slot in at a better spot for their talent usually. And then they play better. hundred percent. Right? It makes it easier. And so if all he is, is a number five, like he's not getting paid huge money. Right. So all I'm saying is lots of players, Frank, they go to good teams and everybody else is confident. Right. And they're just like, dude, just, you know, you you don't have to do anything flashy on this team. And suddenly your confidence is just going to build. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a solid third pair season. Mm-hmm. So Sorelli's missing the start of the season. Uh, it was a it. four to six month timeline back in July when he had his surgery. So um, yeah, an AC joint sprain. Uh, those are painful. That's a big loss for, for that team. But you know, with some of their other guys potentially being more healthy than they were last year, hopefully, although it was another deep playoff run, I, I just don't see any drop-off at all. So are they third, or do you see them higher in the division? I think they could win the division. Ooh, all right. Okay, now we get to the uh, top two. Toronto Maple Leafs had, uh, of course, a stellar 115-point season last year, but couldn't get out of the first round of the playoffs again. And so uh, they make some changes, right? Campbell in goal. That's a significant one. He's out. Mrazic, their whole goaltending is new. Um, McKayev, really the, the only big, you know, significant forward change. Uh, Libushkin, who they acquired, he wasn't there a lot, but he was there for a bit. He's gone now. So they bring in uh, Obey Kubel and Yarncroc. I think they look at those guys to to really solidify their, their bottom six. And then Murray and uh, Samsonov in goal. Are the Leafs better? And are you concerned that they already have a little bit of injury issues before the season begins? I am concerned with some of their injury issues. Don't know if John Tavares is going to be ready to start the season. Jake Muzzin and his, you know, his back. I feel like he's one of those guys like you you flip a coin. You don't know what you're going to get on any given day. And I guess you're kind of holding your breath. Um, I, I like the moves that they made up front in bringing in pieces to, to round out their group. Um, I think they found a lot of value in places like to get an Abe Kubel at a million bucks. Um, you know, it just fits. Um, Yarn Croc, I, I was a little disappointed in his playoff um, in Calgary, and I thought he was a total non factor at times. But their forwards and scoring goals shouldn't be an issue. Uh, can you replace some of the scrappiness that, uh, you know, how much time is Pierre Engvall missing? That line for them was so critical to their success in terms of setting the tone uh, for how they wanted to play in terms of edge as well, that it's going to be important to see if they can replicate some of that, um, you know, with some of those guys out. But the big question and who's kidding who is what about, What's going on in net? Well, that in defense to me is, is their defense. Like they didn't really change anybody. They, you know, they got similar defense core in a lot of veteran guys. Is their defense core good enough? Is it fast? Enough? I think it, I mean, I think it is for now. Like, okay. 
Morgan Riley, uh, you know, I, he's not a number one defenseman in my books. I think he's one of the best number twos in the league. Um, I think some of it depends on Muzzin's health, but you know, you kind of know what you're getting from Brody. Um, Mark Giordano at 800 grand is a steal. And how big of a step can Liljegren and Sandine take? Yeah. That's, that's really the question. question. Yeah. I, I would agree there wholeheartedly. And then in goal, you know, Murray, it's funny. If you look at Matt Murray's numbers, when he, when he was able to stay healthy last year in Ottawa, they were actually pretty good. The problem was he'd get banged up and then he'd come back or he'd play through something. Then, his, you know, he'd have like four or five games in a row and they would just be awful. So that to me is, you know, and what's the split going to be? Is it so, like, are we talking close to 40, 40 here between the two of them? I don't know. I don't, I don't know what they're thinking. Obviously with that cap hit, they're hoping that they get more and, and they seem supremely confident based on their knowledge of Matt Murray and, you know, their change in goaltending coach as well, that I think is going to be interesting to watch. But I mean, maybe Matt Murray gets the opening night start to try and, you know, boost his confidence and, and, get him ready to roll. I, I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the day, Ilya Samsonov is the guy that it plays the, you know, more games than Mary. Okay. I, w- I don't want to say the bulk of the games, but plays more when it's all said and done and not due to injury. I'm saying if Matt Mary is healthy all year, I still think Samsonov is the guy that plays more. And uh, Toronto, I think is, is pretty much a lock bar and significant injury to, to be a playoff team just a matter of where they finish and how important do you think it is for them to get home ice in the first round? Not, I don't, not important. I don't think it matters. (laughs) Why do you think it matters? Well, just, I just wonder about the the least, not that the regular season doesn't matter because you can't get to the playoffs unless you play solid in the regular season. But I think that whole organization, Frank, like you talk about, I don't think there's a team and you know, Dubas is in the final year of his contract I just think there's there's going to be a and they're in a massive market. There's going to be a lot of pressure. Like if they could ever win a playoff round, there could just be a massive exhale, and they'd be like, "Oh, okay." And I think I think it would really benefit them. But that first round, Frank, the minute the playoffs start, the whole question is, can they win the first round? Can they win the first round? And and the questions will probably start a month before the playoffs. Okay, so but what does that have to do with home ice? Well, I think having home ice is just an historically it's still an advantage. And I think for, for that team, like you have to play game seven in Tampa Bay or in Toronto. I'd take it. I'd, t- I'd, I'd still roll the dice. I know they lost. I, I, in some ways I feel like there's more pressure playing at home, especially when you're dealing with something like that in the circus that that surrounds it. Um, but do they have, look, at the end of the day, the look, they still fortitude. had, a, they still they had a it. series lead in two different spots against the two time defending champs and lost in game seven by a goal to a team that went on to the final again. Yeah. H- how far away is this team? Uh, their goaltending is going to have a lot to say about that, but the suggestion would be not very far. They had the, the two-time champs on the ropes, and so if they can break through and finally, as you said, exhale, is it out of the question that they go on to win the cup? Nah, I don't know. That's a pretty big leap. I don't know. Well, you, you got to win in the play. Winning in the playoffs is hard. Like there's little things you have to learn. So um, I, I get that, but, but I, how, how many teams have learned more than the Leafs with what they've been through? True. Like I, I just feel like once they break through, it's going to be a deep run, and it's not just going to be oh well, we're happy to be here in the second round, and they fall out. 
No, no, I, that I would I could concur with, but to me, there's just D- is it set in stone? I get. What, I, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, like, do teams have to go to the conference final and lose before they can finally win, or is is it possible to just break through and run the table? Well, you don't have to be in the conference final. Washington obviously proved that. Um, I, I do think you you have to have had some playoff success prior. There's very few teams that now. Carolina might be the one, although Carolina was the oddity because they'd miss the playoffs, go to the cup final, miss the playoffs, win the cup. You know, like they're, they're the one oddity. Most of the other ones, there was a little bit of scar tissue, if you want to call it that from, you know, winning around, getting to the second or maybe to the third round and then losing and that you can gain something from that because it is harder for sure. So I, I do still believe that overall, you know, like Washington couldn't get out of the second round for the longest time but they won in the first round a lot. Like at least they had some semblance of winning, right? So I'm trying to think if there was a team that just, you know, kicking the nuts, kicking the nuts, kicking the junk, double kicking the nuts, and then boom, now we win the cup. I'd have to go back and look. I, I feel like that's what Washington had did, had happened to them forever. Yeah, but they still won some, you know what I mean? Like, but, uh, it, just winning one, I guess my argument would be was winning one round mean something. In well, it wasn't just one year, though, right? Like, it was winning one round. Like, how many years in a row did they win a round? So, yeah, but they also had a bunch of years where they won the president's trophy and lost in the first round. So, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, hey. I don't know. They were the poster boy of, uh, of, some pain. Uh, let's get to Florida. Then we got to get to buy or sell the, uh, now you mentioned earlier, Ottawa might've won the uh, summer. I'm sure flame fans are like, Hey, wait a sec us over here. But, uh, the Florida Panthers, no doubt there is no team. The president's trophy, 122 points and significant move. Huberto, Uyghur, Marchment, they lose in free agency. They got they get rid of their coach. So Paul Maurice is in. Now Kachuk comes in, Balzers, Cousins. And then Frank, is Eric Stahl, like what are you hearing on Stahl? Are the Stahl brothers going to be on Florida? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think that determination has been made yet. Okay. So what do you make of their offseason? Are they better? Well, I would say I Ekblad's going to be healthy, hopefully. And he had an unreal season last year. He got a NARS trophy vote for me in the fifth spot. That's how good he was in 61 games. Um, I don't know about their defense. Okay. I really don't. Yeah. Like, I don't think they're a 122 point team. It's hard to do, but. Florida now is kind of like Toronto. I think both teams are virtual playoff locks and it's uh what kind of success can they have in the postseason? Like I, I, that trade, man, you know, Kachuk Hubert. Oh, sure. But throwing in Mackenzie Weger in that deal, like, Oh my goodness. And a first rounder. Like they gave up a lot for Kachuk, man. Like that. I'm not, I get it. Like I'm a, I get it though. I'm a Kachuk. Like there's no guarantee that, the Panthers would have been able to re in fact, it's likely they wouldn't be able to re-sign Uyghur after this season. So he was one and out anyway, but they could get, you've got more than, because if you would have said a first for Huberto and, uh, and you know, the prospect of first and Huberto for Kachuk, people might've been like, okay. Yeah. Well, they already had engaged in talks with Huberto about what it would cost to re-sign him. So yeah, no, no, I, I understand why they, would that's another, for Eric. but it's more the, and he's older, so I get the Kachuk for Huberto. That that trade makes sense to me. But it's the Mackenzie Weger part of that deal that I'm like, hmm, that's going to be fascinating to watch. Like, did they, did they, big know personality changes? Weger was a huge part of their personality. Yeah. Um, Huberto was a huge part of it. Like, that, that's a lot to remove from a group. 
and you inject another strong personality in, in Kachuk, it's, I think there's going to be a feeling out process for a bit. I do. It's hard to not like their talent and, and they're going to be so hard to play against. I think Kachuk does that. Reinhardt does it. Bennett does it. Um, I, you know, they've got an edge to this team. What about Paul Maurice? Love I think it. an experienced coach is going to help them. Yeah, the only I love Paul Maurice, and I think he's going to do a great job. I will say this though: those players absolutely loved Andrew Brunette. Okay, all right. So, where do you have the Panthers? I have the Panthers. I'm trying to, like, I'm waffling somewhere between second and third. All right. So you have Tampa, Toronto, and Florida, the top three teams. Yes. Order debatable. All right. Let's well, they, yeah, bring and in- they were separated by not a lot. So yeah. Let's bring in Tyler Ramchuk for buy or sell. Yes, a new edition of buy or sell delivered by our friends over at DoorDash. Promo code RUNDOWNDD gets you 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order. Let's jump right into this. You guys just talked about the Florida Panthers. They won the division last year. I'm going to say we get a new division winner this year. Frank, buy or sell? Buy. Uh, We just ran through it. I, I just think... I think there's going to be a feeling out process with Florida. Not to say they can't do it. Clearly they can. Um, I just think it's going to be a little bit different to start. And I don't think they're quite going to run the table like they did. Fair enough. I'm going to sell. I think they stay on top. I don't think it's 122 points. I think everybody's point totals in that division go down a bit because guys at the bottom are going to win a few more games. But I think Florida squeaks it out at the end and uh, finishes first in their division. All right, well, this next one, the Tampa Bay Lightning had 110 points last year. I'm going to say they beat that. I'm going to say the Lightning have a better regular season than they did last season. Jason, buying or selling? Jeez, that's a really good question because I have them right around there. Um, Oh, man. You know what? I love the over, so I will buy because they could get 111 points. Yeah. Frank? Yeah, I'm going to buy that too. Um, you know, you, you've got all these super talented players. Like, is point on the ice for a little bit more? Does Kucherov miss 35 games again? Like, I know Sorelli's going to be out for a bit, but I, I just, I don't, I think this team's going to be a little bit better. Well, then how about this? Points Bet Canada has their over under set at 103.5. Mortal. Yeah, I would be Thank hammering you. that. Lock it up. Uh, last year. The order between these three teams, it went Buffalo, Detroit, then Ottawa. This year, I'm going to say it's just reversed. It's going to go Ottawa, Detroit, then Buffalo. Frank, buy or sell? That's how I see it. Yeah. But I could see it being Detroit, Ottawa, Buffalo as well. But you're buying. No, I'm taking. But I will buy it, yes. yes. I'm selling. I, uh, I think Detroit's the team that uh, finishes the top of those three. All right, I got a couple other uh, over-unders for you guys, courtesy of our friends over at Points Bet Canada. The bonus questions this week, starting with Austin Matthews. Over-under 56.5 goals. Jason? Oh, if he's healthy, it's an easy over. That's always the question. But I, yeah. you know I love goals. So, yeah, let's do it. Let's go over. Frank? Mm, yeah, I'll buy. Over 56 and a half for Austin Matthews. Uh, the Ottawa Senators, they're over under for this season for points. 86.5. Over or under, Frank? Over. I think they're in the low 90s. Ooh, spicy. I don't, again, I don't know if they make the playoffs, but I think they're in the 90 to 93 point range. Uh, I think they will owe to Sam Gagne and have 89. 89. So. 
Oh. All right. And the Buffalo Sabres, this was an interesting one for me. Uh, they finished last year with 77. Their over-under this year is 70. Or sorry, they finished last year with 75. Their over-under this year is 77.5. Jason? Yeah, I think those teams are all going to improve a little bit. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I think Buffalo gets uh, right around into the 80s, maybe, you know, 82, 83. So they're just, we're not going to see that significant of a gap again in the uh, in the Atlantic. So uh, I will take over. Yeah, I'll take the over too. I mean, I think they're better. I just don't know how much better. Over, over, over. You guys hammering the overs today on a brand new edition of Buyer Sell delivered by our friends at DoorDash. Remember that promo code RUNDOWNDD. 25% off, no delivery fees on your first order. Admittedly, I'm I'm very biased towards over a lot. I've rarely I I, I just hate the idea of rooting for the under. I agree, and that's why I can't do it. I rarely I, I, I don't I either go over or I don't bet. I'm with you, hundred percent. Yeah, so I don't uh, I don't like the I don't like the the under. It just I'm like, especially in a regular season game. I'm like, no, I want points, whatever it is. So uh, mm-hmm. we'll see. Frankie, this was a, a great rundown of the Atlantic Division. Uh, next week we have the Pacific. And uh, also we'll get to the uh, Metro where uh, I think we're going to have the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, Rod Metro the Bod. on Monday. Brindamore. I hear he's putting, uh, he's putting us through a workout regime uh, during the pod, Frank. So Bob, yeah, ready? I, uh, yeah, I won't be. <laughs> we'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Cervalli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. 